0: Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be gathered together like this. Your children under your wings. We're here to listen to your word, your spirit. And we ask that we hear from you this evening and that you help us understand spiritual things. We need your help and guidance every step of the way. Father, we also pray right now for those who are sick in our congregation and struggling, you know exactly what they're going through, and we ask that you bless them, and that your will be done to your glory, and that everyone has the right perspective regarding their challenges. And Father, most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for sending him out of heaven to become a man so that as a man he could pay the price for the sins of all mankind. We are eternally grateful. We ask that you bless this time in your word and help us magnify the name of your son. We ask these things in Christ's precious name by the power of your spirit. Amen. God sees the heart, but the world sees the choices we make. Part 12. So one of the gifts we've been given through our faithful pastor is his ability to see the big picture. Um, I think that's probably part of a gift of being a shepherd or an under shepherd anyhow is discernment and the ability to see the big picture. And this is why uh, we have to do our best to keep him free from little distractions. And that's one reason the church has deacons as well. So here's an analogy that might help. If you're on the Titanic and you bother the captain of the ship with the fact that you don't have the right utensils at the dinner table, you risk your captain not keeping his eye on the big picture, including looking for, say, icebergs up ahead that might sink the ship. Seriously, that would be stupid and foolish to do that to the captain of a ship, right? Who knows, maybe that's what happened. (laughs) You never know, you weren't there, right? But the captain was distracted, and look what happens. No, but seriously, use that analogy, and that's exactly what we don't want to have happen in our church. And I think about this sometimes. We don't want to make the mistake and then say, Oh, it I, I was too late, you know. Um, I, I, you know, distracted the pastor with something foolish, and now because he took his eyes off the what's in front, you know, someone else in the church got hurt or something happened in the church that wasn't foreseen, that should have been, et cetera. So have that um, respect for the position and what his job entails. And that's why, again, we have deacons. If you have a complaint, something bothering you, go to the deacons. Um, if it's a spiritual issue, I think pastor would want you to go to him. You know, But the point is, is with the small details like utensils on the table, don't go to pastor. And I know most of you would not do that. Most of you. But our pastor needs to keep his eyes on the spiritual warfare going on around us. Don't you want him to keep his eyes on that stuff for us? Which is part of main, a main part of his job. And you know he's our full-time under-shepherd. I don't know about you, but I want him to be able to pay attention to those things and what the Spirit is warning him of for us. So our pastor and any pastor ordained by the Lord has been charged with guiding the ship. He's been given the rudder in his hand, so to speak, uh, even though the Spirit is the one guiding him. So again, one of the gifts we receive from our faithful pastor is that he can see the big picture and share it with us, as he did on Sunday. And part of his gift has encouraged us to go to the website for ourselves and take a view of the picture, the big picture for ourselves, too. Hopefully some of you did that. Hopefully, hopefully all of you did that. Uh, or we'll do it because it's, um, it's an exercise. It's a very healthy exercise. And I did it after Sunday's lesson, and it, it um, allowed me to add something into tonight's lesson as well. But that's from the Spirit. That's, you know... The Spirit guiding your pastor on what's important. And we should be listening, or we're the ones that are going to suffer as we saw on Sunday. We also saw on Sunday where the Spirit has graciously taken us recently, knowing exactly what we need as individuals and as a unit, as a spiritual unit. Okay? I mean, that's God, right? He knows exactly what each of us needs individually. He can he can even tailor the messages to us individually how he does that with many people right supernatural but he also is teaching us and training us as a unit and what we need as a unit in this geographical location with our mission here where he has us so here are the lessons uh, from May 2018 and on we had a series on the peaceful fruit of righteousness A series on there's just something about his name. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. We are nothing more than vessels of mercy. And God sees the heart, but the world sees the choices we make. If we take the time to reflect on where we've been, we can see the trends and what the Spirit is emphasizing to us. And again, this takes us stepping back even individually, looking at the big picture. Instead of getting caught in the weeds and in the details, we have to step back once in a while and just look. What's he been doing? What's his his message in 2018? Like, what's the basic points that are adding up and are showing us where he wants us to be, individually and as a unit? A main theme which continued running through all the series on the board is that when we live in righteousness, we are blessed, especially with his peace. I don't know about if you remember that, but that kept popping up, you know, and, and being intertwined with these other topics on the board. And this speaks of not only thinking righteously, but following through on what we say we believe, acting in righteousness. And when we live in righteousness, we're going to have peace result in our lives both in our hearts and in our, in our lives, even in our activities, in our relationships. After all, if a person really believes something, the proof of that is that they do it. It's one thing to say you know you should act right, righteously or you believe you should act righteously. It's another thing to actually act and live that way. And This is true in all areas of life. If someone believes something, they actually act on it. You know, I was thinking of a, a silly example, actually, before class. You know all those TV commercials with that guy, um, is it William Devane, buying the gold from this gold company? Uh, you watch I don't watch too much TV. But anyway, he's on like every other commercial. He's like, hi, I'm William Devane, and I'm buying gold from blah, 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 company. Right? He's like, everything's insecure, the world's crazy, buy gold. Now, let me ask you this. If he really believes that, wouldn't he own a lot of gold himself? If you found out he didn't own a lot of gold himself, wouldn't you say he doesn't really believe what he's saying in the commercial? Obviously. So it's the same thing with us. Same thing with anybody. If you say you believe something, you actually do it. If you're not doing it, there's a chance you have a problem with the believing part. So that's another emphasis the Spirit's been giving us on the board. 1 John 3, 18. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Let us not love with word and with tongue, but with deed and truth. It's a huge difference there. It's one thing to say I love you. It's another to actually love someone. Why is that like, so hard for us to grasp sometimes? I know in my own soul it sometimes is, like, and I can't even explain why. But you can say you love someone, but loving, if you actually love someone, it's, it's something you do to someone or for someone. It's actually showing care for someone. And this has been another running theme and a reality check for all of us. And we often have to ask ourselves, where is our heart? Turn to 1 Peter 1.22. 1 Peter 1.22. <clears throat> How are we told to um, love one another? We know we're commanded to love one another. Does that much, just mean saying I love you? 1 Peter 1.22. Since you have in obedience to the truth... Purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. What happens when you do something fervently? What happens when you do anything fervently? Doesn't it pour out or pour over? It's kind of like uncontrollable or over the top even. As we've been taught, God's love can't be contained. When you're actually living in his love it can't be contained it's one thing to think it it's another thing to live in it Um, I was thinking of an an analogy and this is just an analogy okay I'm not saying this is what happens every time you see someone love isn't something you do in passing love isn't something you do in passing like a you know checking off on a list or something love isn't like waving your hand To say hi and keep walking. Love is more like stopping and giving someone a hug and making sure they're all right. That's like, I guess, a picture anyway of love in action. As opposed to just waving and saying, love you. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But at the same time, is there an action there? On the board, 1 Peter 1.22 in the NIV. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. This is actually telling us how to love, you know, giving us more description, right? Then love one another and leave it at that. This once again reminds me that we are all called to share the truth, but in love always this has been another recurring theme over the last year or two whenever you share the truth it must be done in love if when we share the truth we're not doing so in love we are a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal like first corinthians 13 talks about we really are to the person who's listening to us that's what we're like if we're not telling them the truth in love And I've been guilty of this even recently in evangelizing with people, to people. If when we share the truth, we're not doing so in love, we're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if you're not willing to do it from a position of love, then don't even bother. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about. I don't care what you do. You can give your body to be burned. Without love, you're nothing. Right? So, in other words, if you're not willing to evangelize someone from a position of love, don't even bother. Step away. Pray. Because it could do more harm than good. On the board in Ephesians 4.15, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Jesus Himself always told the truth in love. How do we know that? Because He was full, perfectly, of grace and truth. And what is grace? An outward expression of love. A functioning of love, grace in action, or or, you know, love is grace in action, or grace is love in action. Maybe they go both ways. But grace is an outward expression of love. That's what it is. And what was Jesus full of perfectly? Grace and truth. So he's our great example. If you're not going to do something in love, probably shouldn't even do it. And there again, we also note a point of repetition lately, and that is that God's glory is in his grace. God's glory is in his grace. God's glory is seen in his mercy and compassion towards his creatures. And where does mercy and compassion come from? Love. As one of pastors' recent blogs reminds us, it takes a lot more power to stop and love someone than to judge them. On the board. The Lion and the Lamb blog from a few weeks ago. God's ultimate desire is to love. Jesus wanted to save unbelievers, not destroy them. That is a far greater display of power. It takes much more strength and conviction to walk directly into a fire to save someone than to simply extinguish the fire and lose the individual in the process. I was reading that and I was thinking... When Jesus became a man, he literally stepped into the fire of the devil's world. And he didn't have to. That's a great description of this horrible world. But to want to save people and to actually do something about it is a far greater display of power than to destroy or judge. The easy way out, which the flesh wants to take, is to turn a blind eye when you see someone trapped in a fire. That's definitely the easy way out, and the flesh really wants to take that. Have you ever said this to yourself? Oh, they'll be all right. God is with them. I'll pray for them. Anybody guilty? In the meantime, they need some very practical help with the situation, and no one's willing to actually step out and physically help them. Shame on us. Because that's not... Love. Love does. Love lays down its life for his friends, right? The Lord said that in John fifteen thirteen. God's love lays down its life for his friends. He did that for us, and so we should not claim to have God's love if we're not acting that way. Not just thinking that way, acting that way. So again, the point from the blog on the board, The Lion and the Lamb, God's ultimate desire is to love. Jesus wanted to save unbelievers, not destroy them. That is a far greater display of power. It takes much more strength and conviction to walk directly into a fire to save someone than to simply extinguish the fire and lose the individual in the process. Here's another way to put this on the board. God, even though all-powerful and right to judge us, has self-control towards sinners, motivated by his tremendous love. God, even though all-powerful and right to judge us, has self-control towards us sinners and motivated by his tremendous love. In other words, God's love is the guiding factor of who God is and how he interacts with his creatures. And as stated in the same blog on the Lion and the Lamb, uh, wrath is just a byproduct. Wrath is just a byproduct. Love is who God is, and that's his main motivation. What causes God to have self-control and patience towards those who have offended him and attacked him. What causes him to have self-control and patience with us? Love. There's no other explanation. And that's how powerful love is. And that's why self-control and patience are part of the fruit of the Spirit on the board. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things, there is no law. Take a good look at that list. And how many of these attributes of the Spirit have we been discussing recently? I think all of them, maybe in the past year. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, the point on the board, God, even though all-powerful and right to judge us, has self-control towards us sinners, motivated by his tremendous love. And the word also says, self-control is more powerful than a man that can take down a whole city. What is power? Once again, man's perspective is totally opposite of God's perspective, right? God's ways are not man's. What is power? It's the ability to love in the face of being attacked. It's the ability to live in love, to act it out towards someone who's an enemy. That's power. To love is more powerful than to judge. It takes much more power. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs sixteen thirty-two. Proverbs sixteen thirty-two. Self-control is more powerful than a man that can take down a whole city. Proverbs sixteen thirty-two. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. That's God's perspective. And look at Proverbs 25:28. Proverbs 25:28. To love is more powerful than to judge. And that takes self-control. That's part of the reason. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. So as we were reminded on Sunday, on the board in Romans 13, 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Notice it says love does no wrong. There's action, or in this case, lack of action, right? lack of negative action. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. As we look back on where the Spirit has taken us, we see great practicality in our messages telling us how to love and how to live. At this point, Let's also take a look at our recent blogs and see how they fit into the recent trend from the Spirit. On the board is our last five blogs. What is a good name? Glossophobia. If you don't know what that is then you haven't read the blog. Gotcha. The Lion and the Lamb. Best dressed and the simple life with a view. What trends can we see here? What trends do you see here? You might go on the website and browse them for the main points that are found in bold in each of the blocks. That's what I did. I didn't have time to read all five of them, for example. But when you go back there and use the website as a resource, you can use it as a a resource, (laughs) right? (laughs) Go look up and find what you want. Go see where the Spirit leads you. When you go through the blogs, the key points within each blog are in bold. And they'll certainly come back to you when you see them. And there's a great way to look at trends. What's the spirit been saying at the key points? So from what I've seen in these five blogs, we see the struggle of living in fear versus living in love. Just look at the titles, try to remember what they're about. We see the, the struggle of living in fear versus living in love. And if we're living in fear in areas of life, it's because we're lacking faith in his love for us. That came out in last Tuesday's message. If we're living in fear, it's because we're lacking faith in his love for us. We don't believe his love for us, not fully. And to the degree that we believe his love, that's the degree we have less fear. The less we believe his love, the more fear we're going to have in our lives. We see from these blogs gaining a godly definition of things like a good name and what true wisdom looks like, a godly definition of these things. And we also see that everything in the spiritual life boils down to living in love, that love is our centerpiece, a place we should never depart from. And we leave the wrath of God to the Lion of Judah, which he must do at the proper time. But that's not our business. That's another emphasis that came out in the blogs. We are to love like Christ loved, to seek and save the lost just like he did. That's how we're supposed to live and represent him. We saw this quote on Sunday from The Simple Life with a view. As Jesus taught, the best things in life are the simplest Living a simple life of faith, hope, and love, a la 1 Corinthians 13, 13, is the best life to live. This wisdom produces freedom. This wisdom produces freedom. Why aren't we free? Because we're not hanging on God's wisdom, such as faith, hope, and love. Live in it. And in wisdom, we should always be asking God to grant us more of these things. I found myself doing that recently, um, whether it was the recent messages or, or in this latest blog. Lord, give me more faith, hope, and love. Don't just give me more faith. Give me all of them. I need them. I can't do this. I can't grasp these things sometimes. Give me more faith, hope, and love. And we remember that love fulfills the whole law, of course. So on Sunday, we also had a warning against the deceptions of wealth and how many people think a good name comes from wealth. It's just another deception of the world. When really, true wealth comes from a good name. True wealth, you know, wealth from God's perspective, not gold from the TV commercial, you know, not finances. Many people think a good name comes from wealth when really true wealth comes from a good name. As Jesus said, store up your treasure in heaven instead of on earth. That's true wealth. Things that have eternal value. Turn again to 1 Timothy 6, verse 7. And we really shouldn't take these kind of warnings about wealth lightly even if you think you're not you don't have this problem we really shouldn't ever take this for granted we should humbly listen to these warnings because it starts with a thought process Um, slavery to wealth doesn't mean you're rich slavery to wealth happens up here you can be as poor as a stone but is that a phrase you can be poor as a rock yeah <laughs> no, <laughs> you could be dirt poor, huh? You could have nothing, <laughs> but be a slave to the love of money. Amen. Uh, get me out of this. Look at First Timothy six seven. <laughs> For we have been brought, uh, we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice the problem is longing for it doesn't matter how much you have so that was a warning from Sunday again here's our series titles over the past few months so after our good work on good names the spirit again reminded us that people are always watching our lives whether we see it or not whether we see it or not the world can't see our hearts even if it's good We might have a good heart in a situation. We might have the right motivation towards somebody even. But they can't see it. The only thing, think about this, the only thing they can go by is our actions. And that's why we have to be extra careful to not uh, allow people to stumble. Even if we think we're in the right, we talked about enjoying certain liberties that God's given us, right? Even if we're in the right and our heart is good, We got to pay attention to the weak around us, especially unbelievers who are looking for Christians to screw up so they can put Christ down. We have to pay attention and be humble and put things aside if it means avoiding somebody else stumbling. The only thing they can see and judge us by is our actions. So they're in a position of weakness, right? They don't know the word of God. They don't have the spirit if they're an unbeliever. So what do we do out of love? We let them see our actions. Even if it's unnecessary, because our heart is right. Even angels are watching, as we've seen. Uh, Turn again to 1 Peter 1, verse 10. 1 Peter 1, 10. Even the angels are watching us reminding us that eternal ramifications are at stake there's some kind of eternal ramifications at stake with our piddly little lives but god has changed our lives into like something supernatural and worthy worthwhile because we're living by the spirit and the word and the angels are observing every step of the way and there's some recordings going on in heaven we know so apparently there's eternal ramifications to what we think, say, and do. 1 Peter 1.10 As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you... In these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So on the board, we saw angels longing to look. Angels are watching us, how we live our lives, rejoicing when we perform righteous deeds to God's glory. They sing his praises in heaven, as we know, in Revelation 4, 8 you know the angels might be thinking and saying you used that guy to bring you glory just now that's ridiculous from their perspective it's totally ridiculous and that's the truth right we just got to look in the mirror but this is what's going on right now even as we speak so we shouldn't underplay our actions we should we should give them the the uh the value that they have from God's perspective. So, again, look at uh, 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. We saw the Spirit bring that out on Sunday morning. Behavior is called out here. Because, in verse 16, it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, like silver or gold, from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were redeemed with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So why should we live in God's commands? Out of love for the one who gave up himself, gave up his own blood for us. It's simple, right? Right in the context. Why should we behave a certain way, behave wholly? Uh, Why should we conduct ourselves in fear during the time of our stay on earth? Because God gave up his own blood for us. What more do we need? So it's so simple. It's going back to love as the good motivation in life. Fear and awe for God. For the God who gave up his only son for us. And we can't do this on our own. This command, even as I was reading it before class, I'm like, ooh. You know, like like almost like a gut shot. I can't do that. <laughs> well, no kidding, right? But in all your behavior, act holy, conduct yourselves a certain way. We can't do this on our own. It's impossible. But if we do it through love, if love's our motivation, we can do anything because love never fails. If we we want to do these things because we love Christ and we we are thankful to God for doing this for us, it's actually going to become easy. It's going to become easy to do because your motivation is correct. And it's from the most powerful motivation in the universe, which is love. As came out on Sunday, his commands reveal that we can't do these things. So that pushes us to go forward to rely on his grace. That's the appropriate response when we read a passage like this and we say, I fall short in these areas. I can't do it, Lord. That pushes us to go forward, as Pastor mentioned on Sunday, relying on his grace all the more. And that's actually akin to what we've seen lately, which is believing in his love, trusting in his love for us. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John four fifteen. First 1 John 4.15. We must allow his love to motivate us, but the only way that's going to happen is if we believe his love. So ask for more faith, hope, and love. If we don't believe his love, we're not going to rely on his grace and be enabled to do these supernatural things. 1 John 4, 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. If love is our motivation... If we believe the love God has for us first, and therefore we're able to live with that love and as our empowerment and love him back, his commandments are not burdensome. It's easy. It's like that old expression again, love has wings, or love gives you wings. It literally, if you believe, and I know we all struggle with this from time to time, and we're at different you know, places on this scale, so to speak. If we wholeheartedly, 100%, were perfect right now and fully believe God's love for us right now, we would do everything and anything He wanted and it'd be a piece of cake. Wouldn't be a struggle whatsoever because we'd be in love. We'd be taken, if you will, by his love for us. We'd be overwhelmed and it would be easy. We'd want to do these things. We'd want to do these things even if they look burdensome. They wouldn't be. So again, verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So it's back to basics, faith, hope, and love. Isn't it great that the wisdom of God and Christ boils down to the simplest of things? And love is at its core. So when in doubt, love. When in doubt, stop what you're doing. Get back in the sphere of love. Then pick it up again. Stay in the sphere of love. Don't ever let it leave your side. Regardless of the type of situation you're in. And always maintain your faith in God's love for you. Because the world is going to come at you sometimes hard, sometimes sneakily, and you don't notice it, sometimes hard, whatever. The world's going to come at you to get you to doubt God's love for you. So look Satan in the face, look fear in the face, and be like, you know, give him a little birdie if you have to, whatever. And say, I'm not listening to you, Satan. I know where this is coming from, this doubt. I'm going to right now ask God to help me with more love and to believe his love for me as a good father that he is. And when in doubt, ask for more. Because you know what? God is gracious towards those that are humble towards him. If you honestly, humbly ask God for more of these things, you'd think he's going to say no? He's waiting for you to do that as his child. You think he's going to say no? Turn to Mark 9.21. Mark 9.21. Mark 9.21. When in doubt, ask for more. Whether it's faith, hope, or love, ask for more. Because God is gracious towards those that are humble towards him. God is merciful towards those that are humble towards him. He loves to be. Mark 9, 21. And he, Jesus, asked his father, this was uh, a demon-possessed child. He asked his father, how long... Has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. There we are, all of us, the doubting Thomas at times. And what does Jesus do for the man who admits his lack of faith and cries out for help? He has mercy. He healed his son. And so he will heal us, especially in our hearts where we need it the most, if we humbly ask for help. Lord, help my unbelief. Give me more faith, hope, and love. And as an aside, whenever the Lord does something for us, we are tempted to take credit, even for having faith, right? All of a sudden, God answers your prayer, and you're like, where did this come from? You know where it came from. Where did this love come from? I never had this before. Can't even describe it, maybe. Where did this faith come from? I never had it. Like this before. It's supernat super, you know. I can't even define it to you right now. And then what do we do? We take credit for it, having more faith than the next guy, or more love than the next guy. So we were all reminded that all goodness comes from him and his grace, and that we're merely vessels of mercy. That's where the Spirit plunked that down right in the middle of the recent lessons to remember we're nothing more than clay pots literally made from the dust of the ground as Adam in the Garden of Eden. Then we should have no confidence in ourselves. But we realize the very reason we exist and breathe even right now is because of his tremendous love and mercy for his creation. Period. So as came out on Sunday, as a summary of this truth on the board by grace, When God demands something of us, he does so in light of his ever-present grace. In other words, he wouldn't ask us to do something without providing the wisdom, the strength, the grace. He knows, sometimes we forget, of course, but he knows that it is impossible for mere vessels of mercy to bear fruit worthy of his glory by themselves. So what does he do? He enables us. Turn in your Bibles to John fifteen verse four. John fifteen four. This has been a friendly reminder from the Spirit and something that sets us free in the end. Again, the point on the board when God demands something of us, he does so in light of his ever present grace. He knows that it is impossible for mere vessels of mercy to bear fruit worthy of His glory by themselves, so He enables us. John 15:4. Jesus said, "Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, everyone say it with me, nothing. Nothing. And that should be music to our ears as believers, to the humble. You can do nothing without him. And right there, my friends, lies freedom. Believing that in our heart. Being willing to say that and not take any credit. And therein lies freedom. And therein lies wisdom. It's wisdom to first gain wisdom, as we've been talking about. Such as the fact that we are nothing. That's a marvelous piece of wisdom the Spirit's given us to chew on and, and, and swallow and embrace. And true wisdom in life only comes from submitting to the word of God. Like the passage we just read. Like the passage on the board from Sunday, Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. This is a bad nothing. The soul of the diligent is made fat. In other words, those who choose to seek him, which is an activity... Starting in the heart and manifesting in actions in life, those who choose to seek him will be rewarded or made fat and given true wisdom. But the sluggard craves and gets nothing, speaking spiritually. Those who don't seek him will suffer loss and be under discipline, especially when, listen carefully, because this is for us as believers. Especially when they know better and have the truth provided for them. Right under their nose and right on their plate. Those who don't seek Him will suffer loss and be under discipline. It's one thing if you were still an unbeliever and didn't know the Bible was the Word of God. It's one thing if you're a new believer. And you're just getting into the Word and, you know, you've got really no clue spiritually yet. You're a baby. You're an infant, spiritually. It's another thing. If you know the truth, if you know this is the truth, and if you're sitting in this church or listening online and following this ministry, you believe you've been called to this ministry right now at this point in your life, and you say, I don't really need, want, or have time for all the grace God is putting in front of me. If that's you, you're going to suffer loss and be under discipline because you know better. To he has given much, much is required. Go to Galatians 6.8. Galatians 6.8. Those who seek Him will be rewarded and given true wisdom. Those who ignore what's being offered them, the grace of God that's being offered them, are going to suffer because they know better. Galatians 6.8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So we now have a big picture, perspective as to where the Spirit's taken us over the last few months, and if you're not uh, making a point of keeping up with the grace that God's provided, um, you have to even examine your own heart and ask yourself, are you honestly seeking Him, or are you seeking for your own life to be better on your own terms? As we were given on uh, Sunday, there are no excuses The good Lord has made His Spirit's messages available to all of you in multiple ways, face-to-face, live broadcasting, recorded video and audio, blogs, Bible studies, etc. Apparently, only a small percentage of NCC takes advantage of all of this grace. And that, of course, is sad. If you honestly believe you belong here, whether you're face-to-face or not, if you believe you're called to this ministry to you know pastor collins etc then why aren't you uh, eagerly eating up all the sources of grace he's given you if you're not some of you are but we should examine ourselves are we um, eating up all the grace everything mentioned on the board there because if not we're like we're kind of snubbing our nose at the spirit's provision at the way the spirit decided to deliver it to us We might all ask ourselves, what part of our flesh is holding us back from taking advantage of all God's grace provisions? Because that's what's going on. What part of your flesh is holding you back from taking advantage of everything he's providing, from diving in headfirst? You know, when you're given a five-course meal that's from a top chef, would you ever turn a plate away? So why are you turning a plate away? Even if it's only one out of the five, why are you turning a plane away? What part of your flesh is drawing you away, is teasing you, is tempting you, away from all God's goodness and provisions that he's trying to arm us with and equip us with for our own benefit and for the benefit of each other and our family here? On the board, as we begin to close... Why do we expect to have peace apart from hanging on the words of the giver of peace? It's just stupid (laughs) to think we're going to have peace if we don't hang on the words of the very giver of peace. Does it make sense that we want to be happy, but then refuse the very gifts that God designed to give us happiness? The giver of happiness? The author of happiness? We refuse his gifts and we want to be happy. It makes absolutely no sense. So Galatians 6, 7 in the Amplified on the board, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He will not allow himself to be ridiculed, nor treated with contempt, nor allow his precepts to be scornfully set aside. For whatever a man sows, this and this only is what he will reap. And let me just say, if you haven't listened to last Thursday's message yet on forgiveness, you really need to. You really need to. Especially if you struggle with forgiveness, you really need to. It was one of the best perspectives I've heard on forgiveness, and it's a must listen. If you've been slacking in general, now, right now, is the time to make the decision and jump on the train full steam ahead don't look at the past and be guilty and you know wallow in self pity right now is the time you can make the decision to jump on the train and not miss any of the meals not miss any of the plates that God's put right in front of you from a gourmet chef Now's the time to jump on stop missing out because you're only hurting yourself more and more We'll continue, hopefully, on Thursday with Pastor's return. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your word and your graciousness towards us, your grace and truth flowing from this pulpit. We thank you so much for your word and your spirit. We ask, Father, that you uh, help us take these messages personally because you knew in eternity past this is what we needed to hear at the certain time and at the right time for each one of us individually and as a unit. We ask, Father, that you help us examine ourselves before you and humbly respond to what the Spirit is saying to our church. We ask that you bless us all as we go and help us take these truths out, Father, to a lost and dying world with people that are just so lost, so desperate, and they don't know it. Father, we ask these things in Christ's precious name, It's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Amen.